Welcome to the One in One Podcast, where below-average podcaster chats with an above-average athlete. I'm your host, Bridget Bay. My guest today is Vanessa Sullivan, who played volleyball from 2009 to 2012 at Southern Connecticut State University, and she's used her psychology degree to co-author two books. We've got a lot to talk about. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be on here. Great. I'm excited to have you here. So you grew up in Pramus, New Jersey. Do you have any siblings? I do. I am the youngest of three. I have a older brother, Mark, and an older sister, Crystal, who both played sports in Paramus. Nice, nice. What is the age difference? So my sister, Crystal, is eight years older than me, and my brother, Mark's 10 years older than me. So That's so funny. That's the same. <laughs> yeah, right? That's the same age difference between me and my two brothers. No way. That's so funny. Yeah. Us little it's ones. Nice, it's nice to get a little bit of a, you know... My my sister and brother had that back-to-back school year thing, so they had, you know, mutual friends, and they were going around, and he, my sister was always annoying my brother and vice versa. <laughs> I was no, nowhere near that, so it was nice to get that distance. <laughs> yes, and I don't know if this is the case for you, but for me, when I was growing up in middle school and high school, my parents were kind of tired from dealing with my brother, so I definitely got away with a lot more than they did. Oh, absolutely. They tell me that my parents just retired when I was growing up and they just stopped parenting. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, same. It's the best. (laughs) Not complaining. Now, how did you get into volleyball? Because I'm from New Jersey, too, and not many towns, at least in New Jersey, have it as a sport option until you reach high school. Exactly right. Um, So my sister started playing volleyball and so just being dragged to her tournaments and practices I kind of just would pick it up kept her on the side of the court just play around just I I adore my sister so I just wanted to be like her um do anything that she was doing so volleyball happened to be it um unfortunately New Jersey it's getting better but especially when I was younger um they really don't have a lot of programs available for young kids to get into volleyball not really in the rec programs it's not something that even for club and travel programs they were it was there was maybe three in the whole state three or four when when we were playing so it's it's definitely progressed and gotten better as the years went on but it was hard it was hard to find some team and get exposure i was seven when i first started playing and the wow. earliest team I could get on was a 14 and over team so no way I was a seven-year-old standing next to a 14-year-old trying to learn volleyball it was insane (laughs) that's ridiculous I mean did you play because there's such a big gap between a seven-year-old and a (laughs) 14-year-old Oh, God, no. I I told I rode that bench strong for seven <laughs> years. <laughs> but, I mean, at that young age, you just, you really are a sponge to, to everything in life, but sports especially, you're just watching, you know, and then those kids, I looked up to them. I want to, you know, again, I wanted to be a part of the crowd. I wanted to be with them. I wanted to keep up with them. Super competitive. So, um, it was frustrating me that I, I physically wasn't able to do the things that they were doing, like serve over a net or spike a volleyball. Like I just didn't, I, no matter what I tried to do, I physically couldn't do it at that age and that level. And so therefore I never saw playing time in a game. <laughs> but I mean, that makes so much sense. Think about like other sports. When I played basketball and I was seven, I was playing with other seven-year-olds. If I played against a 14-year-old, it's a major difference. I'm also going to sit the bench because basketball involves height. So does volleyball. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. It's it's crazy. It's hard to, um, 
it's hard to look back and really appreciate how difficult that must have been for me at seven um, mm. to, to just not only feel like I wasn't, I mean, I'm sure the girls were extremely nice to me, you know, who didn't get bullied <laughs> or anything like that, but you don't really connect to girls that are that much older than you, especially, you know, thinking back to being 14 myself, I probably wasn't spending and trying to be best friends with a seven-year-old on my team, right? So of course. Um, it, it, I'd imagine, I can't remember, so I can't say for sure, but I imagine that it was a little tricky trying to learn something, feel that frustration, but still stay so committed to it that I, I never took a season off after that. Yeah, I mean, good for you for sticking with it. So now from seven to before you got into high school, did you stay with that same club team? I did, yeah. Wow. I, I, <laughs> it was um, the same club team that my sister had started at, and uh, I, ha- I was there, I think, until I want to say my 15s year, and that's when I, I moved over to a different club, which was just a little bit more local for me. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of travel involved in club sports. Were you traveling a lot? Oh, God, yeah. My, it's so funny because my dad's like, we're paying and going to the overnight tournaments. And I know in my heart, you will never see a minute of playing time. <laughs> but they, they were troopers about it. And um, they always, I, I really had the best parents in the world, have the best parents in the world. Um, they took me to every practice, which was sometimes three times a week, wow. you know, weekdays after work. And at that level, they they don't really also not 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 to knock on club teams but um they don't always have the best schedules because they're trying to plan around other sports you have to like rent gym time like volleyball Mm -hmm. was it's very limited on your gym space because it's usually um conflicting with after school programs or um you know the basketball teams or whatever the other even even if they're not truly in season they still somehow find their way to get gym space (laughs) So volleyball was always the one um, during spring, which is when we play club, where we're playing like 8 to 10 o'clock at night. That's when our practices would be. So it was really tough, especially being so young and needing to come home after school, eat a little snack, do some homework (laughs) and ship right on off to practice. Wow. Yeah, that's tough. But at least I'm sure you saw more time uh, from as you were getting older. So it started to get worth it. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) You'll love this, though. I have a brother that lives out in Illinois and he has a son. My nephew's six and he's involved in so many sports. He's an animal, but he was doing volleyball this summer, which is so awesome to see a little six year old playing that because that wasn't around when I was six. No, I love it. I feel um. You know, the, the other the other side of this is that I feel like there's a lot more televi- televised coverage for volleyball um, mm-hmm. than in past years. And beach, beach has now become an NCAA sport. So um, there's a lot of people, especially in like those warmer locations who are getting out there and they're, they're in high school and middle school and younger now knowing that they want to play beach volleyball in college and they don't want to play indoor. And so there's just different um, ways to get involved with volleyball at different levels across the country. And I just love it. Absolutely. And I personally love watching the final four because those girls hit the ball so hard in the reaction time. Like I just don't understand it, but it's amazing. I know it's so true. It's like when you watch it and you're not involved, first of all, volleyball is just a great sport to watch. Like whether or not you've ever played or you're you're really into it, you can't deny that when you watch a volleyball game that's playoffs and it's, you know, crowds going nuts, it it really sucks you in. It's so much fun to watch. The energy's up. Girls are 
you know, they're tall, they're they're crushing the ball. Then you have liberos who are just flying all over, making incredible digs. It's so thrilling to watch, and I, I just I love it. Yeah, it's so fun. Now, did you play any other sports growing up? I did. So I played soccer and softball, which you're you're gonna laugh because um, you know, one of the things that people ask me is how did you get into volleyball? And it's a funny story because it's really I just sucked at soccer. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of what happened because um, I loved soccer. Soccer was like my number one sport. I wanted to play soccer growing up. And um, I did probably until I want to say seventh or eighth grade. Um, And that I was even so sure at that point, that was the sport I was going to be picking in high school to play. Um, I had no intention of playing volleyball in high school. That's amazing. Which is so funny because it's like, Oh, so in Paramus too, the um, varsity soccer coach and the varsity volleyball coach are siblings. So <laughs> they're always like recruiting to get one of the their players who's on the fence to go to their sport. And so I remember being in middle school and, and talking to them and they were like, what are you going to pick? What side are you going to come on? You're going <laughs> to pick for me, right? And it's so funny, but I really, in my heart, wanted to play soccer, but... I just knew that um, the girls that were my age had been playing club and travel from such an early age, the way that I was doing with volleyball, and I hadn't been doing that with soccer, and there was Mm -hmm. really just no way for me to keep up with them, and I felt like I had more potential if I had picked volleyball, Um, so I was kind of leaning that way, and then this summer... um, either going into, sorry, I'm really bad with timeline. No, that's okay. This is a while ago. Yeah. The summer either going into eighth grade or right after, no, it must've been going into eighth grade. Um, I actually got really sick and I, I had an incident where my lung collapsed and I was at a park and I couldn't breathe and they had to rush me to the hospital. Um, and there, there was, it was a whole ordeal. There was oh like gosh. no oxygen on the ambulance. They were doing, you know, CPR to, to, to keep me, keep me alive. It was a whole huge thing. Um, and after I had a, about a month off where I wasn't in school and, um, I, I wound up kind of just like getting back into the swing of things. And maybe four months after that, my doctor was like, there's no way you can play any sport in high school. Oh my God. That, that much cardio like you just can't um, oh with cardio yeah with cardio oh, I reacted too soon sorry <laughs> no, sorry <laughs> might have been my little delay there <laughs> dramatic pause I like it <laughs> I'm all about the effects <laughs> um yeah no so so he had said that we couldn't uh I couldn't play any sport that involved that much cardio and so me and my parents were like well, well I guess we're playing volleyball I guess this is where this is going um and my freshman year of volleyball was probably my favorite year out of all four years in high school. So it wound up, you know, everything happens for a reason and it, it always ends up being the best reason. So um, I'm happy. I was happy about that. But yeah, as you should be. Um, but just a quick question, like during volleyball practice, when you had to run sprints where you're like, hey, coach, you know, I can't really do much cardio. I'm going to have to sit this one out. <laughs> yeah, it was funny because I like volleyball. It, listen, it is a so hard to be a volleyball athlete so so it's nothing no knock it's just a different sport it's a different workout you know so it's a lot more short sprints and like 
um, fast movement. So you're not needing to run for 12 miles at a time. Um, it's just short, quick movements. So we would do, we would do a lot. We'd have to do, um, you know, full court suicides and we'd be like running back and forth. And I'd be like the last one every time. Uh And I'd look at my coach and be like, I'm trying, man. (laughs) (laughs) In wind right now, I'm trying, but I gave it my all. And I think that's what everyone always knew. She, I'd, have the inhaler off to the side, like, help me God, but I, I tried, so. <laughs> yeah, that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. So you get to Paramus High School in the fall of 2005. You make the varsity team right away for volleyball, yeah. and it's so, impressive. it's so impressive because it's not like you were a good freshman joining an okay team. You were a good freshman joining a good team. You guys went on to win the state championship, and then you won the tournament of champions. So you're yeah. literally the best team in New Jersey that year. Yeah, yeah, it was the it was amazing to be a part of that. Wow, what an experience! Um, co- so, Coach Bellinger, the Paramus varsity head coach, has a rule that you can't make varsity as a freshman unless you're a starter. And my preseason that year was <laughs> so incredibly difficult. I was this tiny, tiny little thing. Um, I had absolutely no confidence I did not want to step on any upperclassmen's toes I felt like I was in over my head I she picked wrong I did not deserve (laughs) to be there like this was a fluke and I'm gonna get exposed that I'm here um and so it was really hard and there were so many practices where she would be like listen you have to do xyz it'd be like read the setter and call out where she's setting before the ball even releases her hands, for example. And I, I couldn't, I, at that level, I just, I, I didn't know how, I didn't know how to read. I wasn't like my volleyball IQ wasn't where it needed to be yet. Mm-hmm. So that was the thing that was really difficult for me. So I just like, wouldn't say anything. And then she'd be like, all right, the entire team's running. Unless oh, no. I was like, Oh my God, how cruel can you be? And then that wound up making me the player that I, I, wound up to be on that program um, or in that program, I should say. Yeah. Sometimes the hardest coaches are the best coaches. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Coach Bellinger was hands down the best volleyball or any athletic sport I've ever done and played in my life. The best coach and mentor I could have ever dreamed of having. Um, Mentally, mentally, she really just pushed everyone. I mean, my freshman year, that year that we went to, gone to states and went TOC, she had gotten us a sports psychologist and literally brought them into our practice because we just, we were hitting a wall and we just weren't able to perform the way that we were earlier in the season. And she was like, this isn't going to happen. Like, I don't care how old you guys are. I don't care if this is a high school sport. I'm bringing in a sports psychologist. We're doing this. Like, we're <laughs> It was so cool at that level and that age to be exposed to something so much bigger than myself. Yeah, that's pretty funny. I know my brother had a sports psychologist for his team, but he played in, that was in college. So that's pretty amazing that that was going on at the high school level. Yeah, even even though in college, it's still a really, really cool experience to have a sports psychologist come in. Like, I feel that not enough athletes get that experience, and it really is so impactful to your game as an athlete. Absolutely. So were you the starting libero? So, um, actually at that level and that time, they didn't have the same rules for liberos as they do now. 
So I was not a libero because back then liberos weren't allowed to serve. So if you were going to be a libero and change your jersey, you weren't allowed to serve the entire match. Oh, wow. And I had a pretty decent serve at that time. So um, Coach B was like, I'm not going to give up your serve for you to just stay in the back row the whole time. So you stay serving, we'll rotate you in three positions in the back, and then we'll just have someone play your front row. That way you can keep serving and be a part of the game. Okay, nice. So that's what I wound up doing. And then my sophomore year, they changed the rule that liberos were able to serve, so then I had become a libero after that. Gotcha. Now, why do liberos wear a different jersey? (laughs) So, liberos wear a different jersey because they rotate in and out of the game different than the other substitutions in the game. So I can stay as a libero, and this is just like high level, but I could stay in the back row as a libero throughout the entire game. All I need to do is just sit one rotation. So people kind of rotate around me in a sense. Gotcha. The other players, they go around every position on the court and become front row. Liberos don't. They have to stay behind the 10-foot line. They have like you know, they can't jump above the 10-foot line over the plane of the net. There, there are just some rules that liberos have to follow. And because of that and their defense only, they wear a different color shirt. So you can very easily track that when the liberos running on and off the court. Got it. And I take it they're usually on the shorter end, no offense at all, because they can't be up front and block and (laughs) spike, right? Exactly, exactly. I feel like for liberos, height's not really that big of a thing, Um, whether you're you're short. I I think at the younger level and age, if you're really short, they're like, eh, just go play libero, go play back row. (laughs) Uh, But, I mean, I I had liberos that I played club seasons with that are – you know, five ten and and up. So I think it really just it gets to a certain point where your skills really just take over and it doesn't matter anymore how tall you are. But <laughs> I would say for the most part, yellow barrels are pretty tiny. <laughs> got it, got it. <laughs> now I was gonna ask you how it was being fourteen or fifteen years old going up against eighteen year olds, but we've already established that you were seven going up against fourteen year olds. <laughs> so that was probably totally fine for you. You know. I, I I did not even put that together until you just said that, <laughs> but I would say that it was, it had to have been much harder because at 14, you're just like, it's really intimidating going into high school. And, you know, I feel like even though seven to 14 is a big gap and, and don't get me wrong, it absolutely is. I feel from 18 to 14, such a huge gap, right? Like yeah. 18. They're like getting ready to go off to college. They feel like they're adults. They're more sure of themselves. At 14, I'm walking in like, someone going to like beat me up in a hallway? Like, what am I <laughs> expecting from high school? Like, I, I don't want to make any of these seniors mad. Like, I had so much respect for all of them. Four years in a program like Paramuses was just so impressive. And I didn't want to do anything to make them not like me. <laughs> so... <laughs> Having to say I want a starting spot, that was the, that was like, I was sorry. I kept saying, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that I'm doing this right now. I'm sorry that I'm here. I'm sorry that that's the rule. Like, I'm (laughs) sorry. Um, But they were really all so great. It took a while. And then I think when they saw and got to know me and, and, um, you know, they, they knew that I really just wanted to be a part of a program that was bigger than myself. I think they really respected that and they brought me in and, 
then after that, I was like a little sister to them and they took care of me. And, you know, anytime I needed anything, sports, school, anything related to just stepping out of my comfort zone, they were right there with me to protect me and give me good advice. So it was, it was great. That's great. And you probably got to go to a few junior and senior parties as a freshman. (laughs) Yeah. So it was, you know, this, no one's going to believe me. This is going to be everyone's like, yeah, sure. Whatever. (laughs) I promise you, we were so committed at Paramus that our coach had a dry season rule. And (laughs) I mean, we're all underage, so right? Every, every yeah, true. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, 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 okay. When when she walked out of there, the seniors would turn to us and be like, it's 100% dry season. If we find out that you've been drinking or at parties or doing anything, like, we're going we're gonna to take care of it, okay? Wow. It's like, whoa, okay. And, and hand on Bible, swear to God, I had four years of dry season in volleyball. That's like, great. Like, that's how much we respected it. We would... We'd show up, we'd walk around. It always was the DD. I'd be like, you know what? Nope, we're in volleyball season. Like that's how much I respected the program, which is so funny because then I went to college and I was like, oh, Saturday night, let's go out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. But no, good for you guys for being mature at that age to not get into any trouble during the season. Yeah, I think Coach B, every preseason, it was like her thing. Every single preseason where she told a story about how a former player, you know, several years back, um, the either morning of or the day before was out of state of a state finals game, um, was outside on her front porch and she got caught. A teacher drove by, she was smoking a cigarette and my coach was like, well, we're gonna have to bench you for the game. And she was like a starter and it was a whole huge thing. And my coach was like, I don't care. Like to me, it's not worth like, this is my rule. I'm a, I'm a woman of my word. And these were the rules and you didn't follow them. I'm not going to turn a blind eye just because it's an important game. Like this is what it is. And I think she sat her for like the whole first set or something like that. And that always stood with everyone for whatever reason. I don't even know if it's true, right? Like, I don't know, but (laughs) (laughs) like, I believe it. I'm not going to test it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a hard lesson to learn for that girl if that did happen, but you know, a good life lesson too. But why did that teacher tell? Come on. I know, snitches, right? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. But your volleyball coach is running for office in Paramus, right? Are you going to give her your vote? She's she's honestly the best person to, you know, rally a a town together. And I think she, um, you know, hears a lot of different sides. Um, There are so many times where, you know, we've been in conversation where I give my what my perspective that may or may not be the same as hers and she challenges me and back and forth so um you know I I think the town would be very lucky um to have her continue being in that role but I think that all the candidates that she's up against are great as well so I feel like the town in general is in good hands no matter what (laughs) it's a very politically correct answer (laughs) So you go on to win four league titles during your career at Paramus. You're an all-league player, an all-county player, and an all-state player. So obviously you're getting recruited by colleges. Can you tell me about that recruiting process? Yeah. um, So I would say the recruiting process for me probably started my sophomore year um, where Again, I was playing clubs, so that was really where I got a lot of exposure to scouting and, and understanding what that even meant. 
Um, I, you know, there were so many rules with can coaches contact you? Can you reach out to them to say, hey, I'm going to be playing here, you know, and, and trying to coordinate all of that at such a young age. And, you know, my parents did the best they could, but we, you know, we definitely weren't perfect knowing all of like what we needed to do. So it, it was kind of just when we went to tournaments, if we happened to see coaches there, great. And if we didn't, like, oh, well. Um, and then my junior year, we kind of started asking a little bit more and started being more proactive. And we put together, a, you know, a tape um, to send out to colleges. And it, it was tough. It, I, I don't think I ever appreciated how much pressure it was as a 15, 16-year-old girl to be in a game that I've been playing essentially my whole life and have a college coach be standing there and then just totally crap the bed. Like it was, <laughs> it was like horrible. And I'd be like, I'm like missing my serves. Like I'm doing things. I'm like shanking passes. I normally wouldn't like, it's a lot of pressure for a kid. It's a lot, a lot of pressure. And then it's like, okay, well that college coach is here and it, are they here to watch me or are they here to watch my teammate? And if they're here to watch my teammate, how do I get them to start paying attention to me? And like, now it's like you're comparing yourself to your teammates, which is never what you want to do in sports. So mm -hmm. it was, it was a tough time. And at 16, you know, you feel like everything you do is wrong and you know, every, mm -hmm. it's a lot of pressure at that age. So, um, that was going through a recruitment period was so incredibly tough on me just mentally. Um, but I think my, again, coach Bellinger had gone to Rutgers and had a great successful career there. So I first thought I would love to go to a D one school. I'd love to go to Rutgers. I'd be able to make her proud. I'd, you know, be able to, um, continue playing at a high level. It'd be, you know, far away from home where I'm not staying at home, but still in the state, which was nice. Mm -hmm. um, so I felt for, for me, that was kind of where I had my, my sight on was going to Rutgers. I had a couple other options. Um, I, I, I can, unfortunately cannot name the schools. It didn't go so well when, um, I wound up making the decision to go to Southern. A lot of those schools were extremely unhappy with that decision and really their offers that it, it actually wound up <laughs> making it for a very uncomfortable next few years for me because they, they really held it against me for so long. Oh, so um, they were in the same conference then, right? Cause I mean, how else would they hold it against you and how else could it be uncomfortable? You're never going to believe if they're not even in the same division. It's <laughs> so, it's literally like D1 versus D3 schools and, and offers. And it was just people just they they really believe that you're going to join their program and their offers the best offer and their school is the best school. And it's, it's kind of tricky. It's, you know, it's it's nothing like I've ever seen. Um, they, they really do. I don't even know the right word for it, but I, I feel like they're just like poachers and they, they yeah. creep up on you. And then it's like. If they either catch you, great, or if not, then you're, like, dead to them. Like, it's it's kind of crazy. Um, I mean, that's not everywhere, but that just seemed to be some of the experiences that I had to deal with, unfortunately. That's really weird, because I have literally have talked to over 100 people on this podcast, and you're the first person that has said that 
other teams or schools were like upset with you. Like, no what? way. Oh my gosh. People are going to be like, wow, this girl's crazy. Um, <laughs> no, yeah. I think the schools are crazy. How can you get upset with an 18 year old kid for making the best decision she thinks for herself? You know, I turned down this one school for a coach that I had so much respect for, like so much respect for. And Unfortunately, and this is exactly what I, I had said to the, this coach, was that during my recruitment night where I went to go and spend the night with the team and they like show you around, they try to like sell you on the school, I felt that the team and the football team and the baseball team and all the like individuals that I met from the different sports teams there were really disrespectful. Oh, wow. <laughs> they, were, they were really into hazing, which is just not something I stand for. Mm. I don't ever, ever, ever like feeling pressured to do something I'm not comfortable doing. And I was there for two nights and I felt like the entire time I was, I wasn't getting hazed, but I felt like if I had joined the school, that's exactly what would have happened. Wow. And I wasn't comfortable with it. And I ultimately said, I don't care how successful your program is. Like, I'm not comfortable being a part of this atmosphere and it did not it probably took like three years before she even like acknowledged me again (laughs) it was really bad it was really (laughs) bad hey I guess everyone wanted you it seems like (laughs) I don't I don't know if that was it or just they they felt slighted you know I I also have like a tough time saying like no to people so I very well could have just been stringing them along and then Mm. at the last minute pulled the plug so I'm sure I'm not you know blameless but um, I just, that it's so funny that that's one of my takeaways, but I'm surprised that no one else had that experience. Maybe, it, maybe I just rubbed people the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. So what was it ultimately about Southern Connecticut state that you decided that that was the place for you? Um, I feel like it was a really awesome campus. Like I walked around and there were people just laughing and having fun and like, it was a beautiful sunny day. So like all, you know, all the stars were aligning that day. Like the girls were so sweet. Um, I went and like sat with someone from the team in one of the classes, which I thought was so cool that they even like thought to do that and offer that to me so I can get a, like just one day experience of sitting <laughs> in a college classroom and, and hearing a professor speak. And, um, you know, I watched them practice and I just thought the level was, um, come you know challenging enough that I'd have to work my butt off but still comfortable enough that I knew I would be able to play there and I wasn't going to be a part of a program where um you know I'd be I'd be supporting it from the sidelines (laughs) because never able to get playing time I knew I had put in so much work over the years that like I wanted to be I wanted to be out there and I wanted to be in the action you didn't want to Um, be that seven-year-old girl anymore no, I didn't. I didn't. I really wanted to be uh I really wanted to be out there and and you know, I knew that this would be the last 4 years that I was going to be playing a you know, a sport that had meant so much to me and really truly made me who I am. So, I I didn't I didn't have it in me to just kind of step back and take a back seat role. I want I wanted to be in that driver's seat. So, um I think a combination of everything. The coach was great. She was so so um, welcoming and supportive and, and, you know, said all the right things, I guess, because I, I really was sold, right? When I when I came back home, I was like, that's it. I know. I know for sure. We don't need to check anywhere else out. Like, I'm, I'm sold. That's where I want to go. That's awesome. 
Now, yeah. they're Division Two in the Northeast 10 Conference, which is a really great conference for athletics. Yeah, it is. How was that transition for you from high school volleyball to college volleyball? Good question. Um, I would... You know, the speed, obviously, everything just, even whether it's D1, D2, D3, it doesn't matter when you're playing college sports, it speeds up. So, um, you know, the setters are just, they're getting the balls out of their hands so much quicker. The, the hitters are running faster, plays, um, you know, the serves are coming at you faster. Everything about it is fast. So... It was tricky to um, it was tricky to kind of make that transition for one the speed of the game, but two the length of a game. So New Jersey is one of the only states that still only plays volleyball matches best out of three sets. Hmm. It's it's so strange, but um, college volleyball matches are best out of five. So. That was a big transition for me. Um, my endurance lasted me those three sets and <laughs> to back-to-back tournaments where on a Saturday we'd be playing. And, of course, the first, like, three weeks I'm playing at a college level, all of our games go five sets. <laughs> so I'm just, like, sucking in wind, trying to keep up. Um, and it, it was definitely tough. It was really tough, um, you know, and just being in a new place with new people and the chemistry and – trying to figure out like learning the plays and learning like different um, calls and signals and all these things that, you know, we, at any new season you would be exposed to, but um, we didn't really do that much in Paramus. That, that wasn't really something that we were doing. So it was just all so new to me. Well, you're clearly able to make some adjustments because you play right away. You have a great freshman year, actually, in 2009. You make the conference all-rookie team, and you had the most digs on the team. Thanks. Um, of course. Yeah, I mean, I think I – I don't know. I think my my teammates were just really supportive, and they, I just watched how, how well they played, and I think wanting to keep up, you know, I, I again – being a part of um, a program that they, the girls were so passionate about winning. And it wasn't just like to, for bragging rights. It was really to, to put the school on the map and the radar for being a successful volleyball program. And it really wasn't about like individual stats. And um, I love that. I love that atmosphere. I love that the team got so excited anytime I did anything and uh-huh. that I'd screaming my head off anytime any of my teammates did anything and that's the kind of atmosphere it was and I knew for sure I didn't want to do anything to bring that down and mm-hmm. if that meant you know watching more film or you know going home and and reading more or studying more or trying to figure out whatever I needed to do to get up to their level as quickly as I could I, I had to do it clearly you did and your team sounds like you all got along which is really important yeah, you know, it, chemistry is such a such a important, um, I feel like, underrated aspect of any sports team. But Absolutely. You, especially, like, women are so strong, and it's such a great quality that we all have and possess. If girls are and women are not supportive of each other, they're, it's either you're supportive or you're attacking. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in, in sports and athletics, it's, really tricky if you don't get along with someone 
to then pretend and and try to like make up this show that we all are on the same page and we all like support each other and we want somebody to get great stats and we want them to get awards and accolades that that's it's not something that you really can fake that that will be very clear and very obvious when you step out on the court and you're seeing how well you communicate with one another um and so the teams that that these games that are high stress and pressure um you'll see the ones that are starting to break down they'll start like miscommunicating like balls will drop in between them or they'll Mm -hmm. collide or you know they they go in for a hit and the setter sets a different ball than what they call and the just the miscommunications all over the place and that's a team that really just truly doesn't trust each other and get along to the point where they're able to say like this is what i'm doing okay great I'm with you. Let's go. Let's do it. Um, and I think for for me going into that year, the senior class and junior class were just so strong. They were really um, inspirational women on and off the court. And you wanted to be like them. You you know, they welcomed others success. They weren't intimidated by it. They weren't turned off by it. They weren't, you know, trying to put you down for being as good as you could be. And and so I had a lot of respect for that. And that ultimately brought the entire team together. Women supporting women. I love it. Yeah. But actually what you're saying just there is a great segue into academics. So you were a psychology major. Was that something that you were always interested in? No. So this story actually is that I was a speech pathology major up until my senior year. And they basically said to me, you're going to have to either pick volleyball or this major because you have so many hours that you need to do and complete and it can only get done in a fall season. So, you know, you have to pick. And I was like, yeah, there's no, there's (laughs) no way. I'm sorry, but I'm taking volleyball. It's my senior year. I'm absolutely sticking with this, with this group and the program I'm, I'm seeing it out. And so I could have just extended school and just gone an extra year. Um, but at that point, I already had gotten enough credits to have my a minor in psychology. So, you know, I just last minute flipped the script and said, what if I what if I just make my major psychology and just <laughs> just finish up? And they were like, well, you know, you're going to have to double up on all your classes. You're going to have to take full classes in the winter and, and be here. Um you're going to have to, you know, like do all these things to make it happen. But in theory, it can be done. I was like, all right, challenge accepted. Wow. (laughs) I, uh, you know, maybe two semesters and a half um, was able to get my psychology major. That's amazing, especially for for being an an athlete. I mean, there's so many hours that goes into just that alone. Yeah, there, you know, but what's really cool is that um, Southern, I don't know if all, um, I'm sure they all do, but Southern has a really dedicated team that helps with students' athletic, um, academic, excuse me. Um, And so we have to do study halls and we'd have to check in with certain people and they'd really keep you accountable on staying on top of your grades during the season. So they really, really helped you as an athlete prioritize and be able to like juggle everything at once. And that helped me. My best seasons academically were in season every year. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now we're going to talk about your books in a bit, but what about writing? Have you always had an interest in that? 
<laughs> well, as you can see, I chat a lot. <laughs> um, I do love storytelling. I think that um, to learn about people and their experiences and what's impacted them to be where they're at, you know, the day that you're meeting them and talking to them, I think it's just the coolest thing. And so I love meeting new people. I love hearing what they have to say. And I love sharing my story because I do feel like I had so many ups and downs and, you know, it's great. We're talking about all, all my, my, my glory days and all <laughs> things, but, um, there were a lot, a lot, a lot of tough, tough days and tough times that, um, you know, were we're a part of that journey to get me here. So I think for me, something that worked well was when I was feeling stressed or overwhelmed or unsure of where I was, you know, going with my career and life and post sports and what am I supposed to do and all these unanswered questions that I really just had no direction. I just reflected and, and wrote things down. Um, and so for me, writing was just a, a little getaway and it was a I don't want to bottle this up um I've got plenty to say as everyone knows <laughs> so let me just throw it down on a piece of paper and just kind of out of sight out of mind I'll, I'll pack it up and I'll, I'll save it for a rainy day kind of thing um when I graduated I was looking to be um an a graduate assistant because I actually still really wanted to pursue my speech pathology degree <laughs> So I was like, I'm going to finish. I started this. I'm so close. Like, I want to do this. So I, I went to Kane University and became an assistant coach there so I could finish up getting the last few credits that I needed for my speech pathology degree. And so that was a great, great, great experience. Um, but of course, I was observing so many different things that I had then experienced in college and being on the other side of it as a coach, I felt like I was just getting a totally different perspective. Absolutely. Uh, I, I think the other side of it was that this was the first time that I was working with and a part of a program that had a male head coach. Um, so it was so interesting to me to see the things that as a female, I picked up on in a second, like, how did you not see that? Like, of course she, she's mad. She's rolling her eyes. What do you mean? Like, <laughs> these things that then after a game or after a practice, the coach and I would sit down and I'd be like, well, blah, blah, blah is feeling blah, blah, blah. And he'd be like, no way. How did you know that? No way. And so I started keeping a log of all of those things that I felt I was catching so easily. And like, why was I catching them so, so quickly? Why was that coming? So, and it was because I was a female, maybe because I was an athlete, maybe, um, you know, because I was trained to look for these things. Definitely throughout my entire career, I always had coaches that forced us to focus on the mental, emotional side of sport. Wow. And I felt like not enough coaches out there have that experience they're so focused on like technique and trying to win a game and like what's the what's the goal and for me it was always just dive a little bit deeper like you you don't need to say what your goal is directly if you're able to kind of go about it in a different way and like females they we're, we're so great I love 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 females but we we take information a little bit differently than males do oh 100 um, percent <laughs> you know, we're, 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 we're a little challenging at times. We're second guessing <laughs> it. We get a little defensive every now and then. 
Um, and, and there's a lot that, that comes with being a female that unless you're a female, you won't appreciate. And so this was something that I was able to put down and, and get published, which I was so, so, so excited about to just give a book out there to any coach, um, or athlete, just say, if you haven't walked a mile in our shoes, here's, here's a good resource. Try, try this, you know, think about it from a different perspective. Um, if you're finding that you're at a, you know, dead end with one of your players, like, have you ever considered their perspective? This could be in it in the book. Um, and it's short and it's quick and it's got nice little short stories. But one of my favorite things about it is at the end of the book, um, I put a little blurb in there from, you know, just reflecting on my time as an athlete. And then I said, here's my email. If anybody has any stories that they want to share with me, please, please, please do. That's and amazing. I get so many stories all the time. And it's oh my, my favorite part of the thing. <laughs> yeah, you wrote it in, or at least it was published, I should say, in 2015. You wrote it with Mike Tully. And it's yeah. called, Was It Something I Said? A Guide to Coaching Female Athletes. Can you talk about the process of getting published? Sure. Um, so I actually had reached out to Mike Tully, who is a author. And um, I had asked him, I think at this point, I'm not quite sure. Again, I was, I had a psychology background. I loved sports. I, you know, had speech pathology, but I still then needed to go for my master's for speech. I was like, what am I, what am I doing right now at this point in my life? Like, where can my career take me? Um, and he had said to me, are you trying to pursue something in athletics? And I said, I would, I would love that actually. I just don't know what. Um, I love the psychology of it and I love sports. He's like, flip those. <laughs> like, well, what if you just go into sports psychology? And I was like, oh my God, mind blown here. Right. And so he had introduced me to a couple of sports psychologists and actually one of them was a professor at Montclair state. So I had an opportunity to go and speak with a class there before the book was finalized. And it was such a great experience. And, you know, those students were asking so many questions that I hadn't even thought of. And I loved the, the conversation that we had on, you know, pressure and, and state and things that you, you, I've been through as an athlete. I've, I've lived through them. But I don't think that I ever really took the time to step back and, like, assess them and say, mm -hmm. why did I feel that way? And, like, why did I put that kind of pressure on myself? And, you know, why was I so hard on myself when I did something wrong, but I didn't really celebrate when things went right? Like, why did I do that? Um, and so that conversation really just, like, I, I was so just enamored by the entire sports psychology world and what it could do for me and other athletes. And so from there, I said, Mike, like, what, what's, what do I do to get my name out there? And he said, you write a book. <laughs> so that's how that started. Now, how long did it take you to write? Um, I want to say about a year and a half. Wow, okay. It was, like, not a long time in the grand scheme of things, but also a while because there were times where I was, I was writing and writing and writing and I'd be like, okay, I just want to, I want it done now. Like I, I, you know, I given it all that I've got, I just want to throw it out there into the world. And then the next match would come or the next practice or, you know, whatever experience that I felt needed to be included in there. I was like, Oh no, we're still writing. <laughs> and then it was like, no, don't include that. And 
you know, then the other tricky part about writing a story about anything you've experienced is you have to be really careful that you're not, you're not putting any of your bad experiences in there and then burning bridges with anybody or Mm -hmm. making feel bad for falling short because of course that's probably not their intention. Right. But, um, sometimes as athletes, we've had really crappy coaches oh, 100%. People who are just not so great and they just <laughs> didn't get it. Um, and so you want to write about it and you want to, you want to help them or people like them grow or avoid those mistakes. And, um, it's hard to use those types of people and scenarios and, um, experiences as a lesson, but that's ultimately what you have to do. So that was a little tricky. Yeah. Sounds tricky. But it seems like the reception of the book was pretty good if you're still getting emails today about people telling their stories. And I, I think it's so beneficial for particularly men who don't, you know, don't understand females as well as females understand females. So those coaches can really read it and take a few notes for themselves. Absolutely. One of my favorite comments was from a male um, basketball coach who said to me he wishes he had this book 25 years ago because he realized that he had the best heart and intentions, but he was missing it by a long shot on the mm. execution. And he said, yeah. it's, I just didn't truly understand. He's like, you know, and it's, it's teenagers for him. It was teenagers. It's like, you know, as a teenager, I don't understand teenagers, right? Like as a male coach <laughs> in their forties, I could totally understand why they're like, yeah, I don't, I can't relate. I don't understand the perspective of a 15 year old. I don't know what they're going through. Um, and so I thought this was like a nice little piece to, you know, help him out. <laughs> Absolutely. That's amazing. Good for you. You're published. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now, I know you uh, coached a cane, as you said, for your graduate assistant year. Did you coach more years after that? I did. I coached. Um, I just coached two seasons there. Okay. So it was great. Um, we went to California. We had, um, you know, won some really big um games and tournaments that were were so exciting for the girls I met girls that I'm still in contact with now and it was just such a great experience that sounds it now how were those first couple of years after you finished playing and you finished coaching because for so long right since you were seven years old you played volleyball and now that part of your life was over I, I imagine there was some adjust adjustments that had to be made absolutely so for for me the hardest thing was who am I when I'm not playing sports? Like, who am I without volleyball? Like, I've never really identified myself as anybody else or anything else except for an athlete and a volleyball player. So now that I don't have that and I'm, I'm now working and, I, you know, I work in finance now and that's great and I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing, but that's not my glory days. That's not the thing <laughs> that made me wake up every morning saying like, yeah, let's get to it. So, so now what like did I fail like it was really challenging for me um those first couple years trying to figure out where do I fit in in the world and you know after you graduate it's kind of like people don't people don't ask about your stats they don't ask about your career in high school or college and they don't they're just asking you how your day was and you know what your goals are for the future and like when do you plan on settling down and you know all these things that you're like if I don't have the answers to like what what am I supposed to talk to people about how do I connect with people what do I have to bring to the table if not my my athletic career 
And so that was a really tough time for me. Yeah, and I'm sure you're not alone with that. You know, so many athletes, they, they're just playing their sport 24-7. Obviously, they, you know, go to school too. But yeah, when it's over, it just feels like that part of you is gone. But I do think you should have mentioned in conversations about at least one stat, which I find amazing. In college, every year you led the team in digs and you had like well over a thousand. I just, I think you should put that in every conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's funny, like even even in an interview where I'm talking to somebody about my stats, it's still so uncomfortable for me to mm-hmm. talk my stats just because it's, you know, I, I just played. I just I went out there and I played. And, and really, at, at the end of the day, no matter what program it was, no matter what season it was, it was never about me. It's always been about the team and it's always been about the program that I was a part of. And um you know, there, there was, there was one time that I, so this is like a little side story, but go for um, it. <laughs> so when I was holding on to that thought of what am I outside of my athletic career? Um, there was one time where it really, really hit me hard. Um, my college roommate and my old volleyball teammate, Madison, unfortunately passed away last year. Oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. It was, it was really a shock. It was, um, really, really tough. She had epilepsy. Um, and it was, it was really, really, really hard for me. And so we, the school had thrown a, um, tribute night for her. And so her family who's from Colorado flew in and all of her friends were there and the team is coming back together. And, um, you know, they had a big epilepsy awareness, you know, station and they decorated the whole gym with her picture everywhere. And it was the first time that I was back in the gym since she passed and watching a game in person. So I used to always like tune in on the video and whatever, but this was like a first time um, in person watching a game. And I was just, oh my God, so many emotions, right? And, and one of those things was that, and, and tying this into the stats comment, I had in 2011, I'm going to say, yeah, 2011, um, I had one of the stats was for most single digs in a game. Did I say that right? Um, the most, so. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> the most <laughs> amount of digs in a single game, sorry, <laughs> at 35. And it was... Um, a school record and it was a big deal and I was so proud of it and it was such a like an accomplishment and I loved 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 that I had been able to achieve that um and at Madison's tribute night the libero for the current team broke my record no way (laughs) and I was so conflicted emotionally because I just thought I'm watching a game in person, and this is the first time I'm in person watching a game since I've graduated. And I'm at a, a game to remember a, my best friend and teammate who passed away, and th- this person's breaking my record? <laughs> is this unreal? <laughs> like, you can't write something like this. Like, what? What a tragedy all around. Um, <laughs> And it was really hard. It took me like probably two or three days before I was able to be like, let me make sense of this and let me look at this 
and reflect on it as more I'm passing the torch on to somebody else who it's their time now. And, mm-hmm. you know, they get the spotlight and they get the glory and they get the opportunity to feel the amazing, wonderful things that I had felt when I had that title and that stat. Um, and it was a sign for me where it's like, you're now closing the door and you're, you're moving on and there's now a new chapter ahead of you. So, you know, it, it was bittersweet. Um, but that was one of those things where at that moment I realized I have to be more than just my stats and my career. Like I've worked too hard in life to be a good person and be on a straight and narrow path and have good morals and be a good friend and good (laughs) daughter and all these things. So there was so much more to me than just athletics. And I had to hold on to that, but also release it at the same time. Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that story because records are meant to be broken, right? But I understand where you're conflicted. Yeah, yeah tough it's really tough you 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 know you hold on to something and you're like this is amazing this is the best feeling ever how cool is this and then all of a sudden you get passed by and you're like oh wait what yeah (laughs) yeah but no I I understand and I think that's great that's kind of like closing the chapter for you and someone else has that moment and I'm sure too you you realize that there's more to life right unfortunately you were at that game remembering your friend that had passed and She's not able to, you know, continue living your her life, but you are, and it's not all about volleyball. You know, you're going to you're going to continue to do great things. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's nice to then be able to say like and I think it just shows that it goes back to reminding myself that it's not about me. <laughs> it's about <laughs> the program and it's about a team and and this libero and I'm I'm sorry I don't know I don't know her name but you know, I'm, I'm so happy for her. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't know her, I'm so happy for her because there's nothing cooler and more satisfying than breaking through your goals. And I know that that has to just mean something to her. And, you know, in a sense, you guys are all on the same team, right? Southern Connecticut yeah, State. Exactly. And, and, and I hope, I hope that you know, soon I can go back to an alumni game and, you know, meet her and and share that story to just tell her that we had never really crossed paths. And yet she had such an impact on me. Like that moment was a really big growth moment for me. And I I just want to thank her and congratulate her for that. That's amazing. Yes. I hope you get that opportunity. Thank you. Of course. So a couple more years go by And you end up writing a second book in 2018, Broken to Blessed. You write this with Angela Dawes? Yeah. Did I pronounce that right? You did. Oh, great. This is a very different book than the first. Can you explain what it's about, how you got involved, and the process of writing it? Absolutely. So I was approached by Angela Dawes. Um, We had known each other from a former job that we both had worked at. And she reached out to me when she saw that I had written my first book and asked me just about the process. And she told me that she had a story that she really wanted to tell. And, you know, what are the details? Can I give her any advice? Um, I mean, and I did just that. I, you know, I had a couple calls with her. I let her knew, know that all that I knew about the process. And, you know, it's not much. I had only written one book, but I gave her what I did know. Um, and a, and a few weeks later, she's like, 
I, I need you in this. Like, I, I want you a part of this. Like, I, I like the way that you write. I like the way you tell your stories. I know exactly what I want to say. But for me, this story is too difficult to actually write myself. So I want to, you know, have you write it and, and me just talk it out loud and, and talk to you about it and talk through it. And you just put it down on paper. And so we, we worked out a great pattern and, and path on how we were going to be doing that. And we'd be meeting, um, you know, a couple times a week and she'd just be talking to me and we'd just be through conversation, listening to certain stories and experiences and things that she had gone through. And I did my best to capture her story and her emotion um, and, and make it as authentic as it could. So everything I wrote, I like would send to her and be like, what is this accurate? Like, I don't want to put anything out there with such a sensitive, you know, subject and topic. And we were covering some heavy things that I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to assume anything and I didn't want to exaggerate anything. I wanted everything to be exactly how she experienced it and felt it. And if she, if I didn't do that justice, I wanted her to tell me and push back so that I could change it so that she was comfortable with the final product. So and while you were writing it, you know, you mentioned that there were some heavy topics. I can imagine that can get someone pretty down, even though they weren't your experiences. You're still writing about them. Did you have an outlet to kind of get back in a, a positive mood after writing? Yeah, you know, I think I think for that um, process, I think hearing somebody go through a story where it's so heavy and they, they really just go through something really traumatizing and, and difficult. Um, I, I can absolutely empathize with them, but I felt like it wasn't fair for me to kind of fall apart because here was somebody put together Mm -hmm. telling story. So I tried to be as professional as I could obviously while still being human and feeling, but trying to, as best as I could, remove my emotion from it. Um, I tried to hear her story. I tried to, you know, kind of hold her hand through it, get through the difficult parts and then say, okay, let's get, let's get focused back on what the goal is because we're here for a reason. It's to tell this story. So let's, let's do that. Let's tell that. Um, But I think there were certain times and, and certain moments where, we'd have to stop the session just because it was a little difficult. And from there it was either, all right, let's sit and hang for 10 more minutes and we'll just like talk about something else and kind of wrap this up. Or it was go, go into your car, put on your favorite song, whatever you you need to relax you call, you know, she, she's married and has a very, very strong relationship with her husband. So if you need to get in the car, call him immediately, like whatever it may be, like that was her outlet where I had a, keep it together and mm. just continue doing my job. Yeah. Very mature of you. Thanks. <laughs> of course. Now, how was the reception of that book? It was great. So the book itself um, is broken out into three parts. Um, the first one's, so all of them, I guess I should start with, but it's one, one body, one life, one answer. And one body talks about eating disorders and how, um, People and individuals get self-conscious and they are really at times their own worst enemy. And there's a lot of things conflicting in them internally where one life is all those 
external chaoses and and challenges that we face that are just completely out of our control. The loss of a parent, the loss of a job, um, you know, like a medical diagnosis, those types of things. Um, And then the one answer is, how do you get through all of it? How do you just push through and stay optimistic and, and power through and stay strong and stay motivated and feel like you have a purpose on this earth because we all do? And how do you find that purpose? That sounds amazing. I'm going to add that to my Kindle read list. Yes, please do. Please of do. course. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a good, um, very different, obviously, than the first one. But Yes, I, completely. Yeah, it's so different. Got, um, you know, I think, I think it resonated with a lot of people because you don't know what people are going through. And unfortunately, everybody is going to experience one awful thing in their life, right? Whether it's something that we controlled or not. Um, Everyone's going to know somebody that passes away. Everybody's going to have some doubts and where they're just not being an advocate for themselves and they're being their own worst enemy. And, and we all go through that. And so it's something that even if you're like, "Mm, nope, not me, I'm perfect. We all know behind closed doors, like we all doubt ourselves every now and then, or we all go through times where we're super down or, you know, we have heartache and that's just, that's, it's natural and it's expected, but that doesn't take away of how much that hurts when it happens and how difficult it is. So I think people responded really well to it because they could relate. Yeah, I mean, like you said, everyone's going to go through crappy times in their life. And even maybe this book, Blessed or Broken to Blessed, maybe I wouldn't go through the exact same things that happened in the book, but I can relate it to things that I did go through. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just that, and it's another outlet and way for people to connect with strangers. And I think, you know, as, as strange as that might sound, I think people do really want to connect with as many people as they can in their lifetime. Like people, as much as I feel like, I feel like social media sometimes is like, yeah, I love being at home, Netflix all day long. Like, no, people, people earn for, for human connection and they don't, they don't want to feel alone in the world. So if it means reading a book where you're just like, wow, that's one person that went through this horrible thing. Like if that inspires you to then reach out to the next person and ask if they're okay or speak up about your own things that you might be struggling with or dealing with. Um, I think, I think it's just an, again, another way to just connect. Absolutely. Now, Vanessa, do you think you have a third book in you? (laughs) I think I have 50 more books on me. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I think that I want to write so many different topics and experiences, and I love collaborating with people. So as much as I um, like telling my own story, I love working on projects with people. Again, going back to that connection thing, but mm-hmm. I, I really do love telling my side of something and before hitting send on it or before like publishing it to the whole world, I like someone challenging me and saying, "Mm, is that the best? Like, did you think about that? Did you think about this? Like, could you have done this better? And now all of a sudden I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm like developing into a stronger, better, faster, smarter person. And I, and I love that. And then being able to put out what I think is at that time, my, you know, best foot forward and then seeing how the public responds to it. And if they hate it, which I, I got a lot. We, we didn't really talk about this, but I got a lot of backlash for 
um, my first book, there were some harsh comments and reviews on it. And that was really, really difficult for me because I just had spent so much time and energy into something and, you know, it, it, it didn't go so hot. Um, and of course, like every other person, I feel like we harp on those negatives. So if I got four or five negatives and I got 20 positives, I was like, yeah, yeah, cool about the positives. But let me go see what those negatives say. Like, let me kind of dive into those a little bit more. And, you know, at some point you have to say, I look back now at it and I'm like, ooh, why did I write that paragraph like that? Or I should have made this longer. I should have really expanded on this section. But at that time, that was the best that I could offer. And that's what I, and I, and that's what I went with. And, you know, I feel like it would be, it would be like untrue to myself if I just scrapped that first edition and I just made a whole new thing. And I, you know, edit it a few years later after I was older and wiser that, 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 that could help me save face. Right. But at the end of the day, that's who I was in that journey. And at that time in my life and, it's all it's all learning and stepping stones so for sure and that was your first book i mean you look at one of my favorite authors jody picolt and you look at her first book to her most recent book you know there's changes i'm sure she got better and you put yourself out there writing that book not many people can do that i'm sure the people that wrote the negative comments have never written a book so just kudos to you for putting yourself out there thank you yeah it's you know it's not easy but um i think the more people do it and the more courageous people are it'll just inspire other people to do the same and that and i want i know that as great of a story as i have there are so many athletes out there that have cooler and better stories than me <laughs> and i want to get them so it's like i'll start but i want you know i want to just get this rolling i want everybody else to take off with it i want to hear what everyone else has to say so absolutely <laughs> so you know in both the books you've written you've really used your psychology degree. Now, are there other ways that you're using that degree? I know you are working in finance, but are there other ways that you're using psychology to help particularly women? Because I know you're a big women supporting women, as am I. Yeah, um, you know, it's a great question because I talk all the time with my boss about being an athlete and how that helps me be successful at my job now, which is in finance and has absolutely nothing to do with sports. But I sit there and I say, I wouldn't be able to do half of the things that I'm doing right now in my role here at the firm if I wasn't an athlete. And it's the same, and then probably the other 50% is my psychology degree, honestly. It's like those two things make up pretty much who I am. And it it's really so important and, and you know, as much as I, I don't ever want to tell people like how to parent or how, you know, how to raise their kids <laughs> or anything like that. But I do think that getting kids in sports at an early age has so many beneficial life lessons that you can, that you can set your child up to receive. Um, you know, it's the teamwork, it's the, it's the hard work, it's the things might not go your way, no matter how hard you're working. And that's, life right and that you just gotta kind of dust it off and you gotta go back out there and play the next day and like no matter what um I think there are so many things that the letdowns and then the celebrations and then it's doesn't matter what happened you still gotta go back to practice the next day as if neither happened or both happened or whatever you know I think all of those things kind of help 
you become a, a, a functioning adult where you're able to then to take a blow at work or a client calling. Like I have so many times have had clients call me at work and they're so frustrated and so upset and they're, they're going off and I'm just in their way. I'm just a punching bag right now mm-hmm. that they're just taking out their frustration on. And it's so important for me to keep a level head and stay professional and and let them know that I'm, I'm on their side and, I, you know, I'm, I'm here with them and I'm just as frustrated and let's get down, you know, like let's find the resolution together and let's try to fix this together. And it goes back to me just always thinking we're all a team. We're all in on this together. And I think if I didn't play sports, I wouldn't have that. Um, and same for psychology. If I didn't, if I didn't study psychology and, and sports psychology, I wouldn't have been able to go into these meetings. I've, I have a great example of how my psychology degree has helped me in, in at work right now. Um, probably about a year and a half ago, I'm in this meeting with, I want to say maybe seven other individuals. And I could tell that the wife, um, so our husband and wife, our clients had come into the meeting um, and their brother. And the wife was, her body language was just telling me that she was not comfortable. She was not on board. She was not happy. Um, She was really frustrated. And again, I'm sitting in a room with very successful businessmen and I'm, I'm the only female and I am very new to finance. I didn't obviously go to school for it. So I have a lot to learn in the financial industry. Um, And so I'm, playing to my strengths. So what I'm doing is I'm observing their body language. I'm listening to their tone. I'm, you know, taking notes on what I see because that's what I felt comfortable in. And that's what I could keep up with. And at the end of the meeting, the R team walked out and was like, that was a great meeting. Everything was perfect. They're so happy. And I was like, "Eh, hang on guys. (laughs) Here are some things that I noticed. Like, did you see the way her body shifted when you did? And like, I start pointing all these things out. And no one had any idea. They were like, what are you talking about? I didn't see any of that. No, no, I think you've got it. You're overthinking it, which I always get as a female. Oh, you're overthinking oh, it. Oh, of course, right? Only women it, get that. Yeah, yep. So you're thinking about it from an emotional point of view. Like, yeah, I am, and I'm right. So, like, trust me on this, right? And so um, they did. They trusted me on that, which I'm so grateful for because they reached out to this client and said like, hey, like we noticed that like you might be uncomfortable about X, Y, Z. We wanted to talk, you know, about this with you further at a later date. Like let let us know you want to set up a call, blah, blah. And immediately she responded, thank you so much for picking up on that. You're exactly right. You hit it spot on. Like I'm not comfortable with X, Y, Z. And um, I really do just need a one-on-one session. And I was like, wow, <laughs> good for <laughs> you. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I just and again, like psychology is one of those things where no matter where you work, no matter what you're doing, no matter, you know, just having friends or talking to your family or work or working out like there is so much that goes into the mental game of life. (laughs) Of course. Good. I feel like you could kind of get a side business going where you're the psychology girl that goes at like businesses hire you just to be in their meetings with clients and you can write those notes. I really think you're onto something. Oh, there's, I don't know if you watch, but there's this show billions and, um, it's on HBO, a little plug for it, but, um, (laughs) there's this character, Wendy, and she's a life 
performance coach and she is so tough on her employees and she is like a badass but she gets the job done and I constantly watch her and I'm like oh I could do that I could do that <laughs> I'd love to do that and I'm assuming she's making a lot of money since the show is called billions so yeah you gotta get on that yeah she's doing pretty well for herself <laughs> oh amazing Vanessa, I've really enjoyed our conversation. I'd like to end the podcast with a couple of fun questions. How does that sound? Perfect. Let's do it. All right. What show are you currently binge watching? Ozark. <laughs> nice. I have to get into that one. It's really good. I really didn't think I was gonna. And then the first like two episodes, I was like, oh, I'm not getting up from this couch. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good time. You know, we're still kind of in quarantine. So <laughs> exactly. All right. What's your favorite vacation spot? Cancun. I've been going there since I'm eight months old. It was the first time that I've ever went. And I went every single year since then. It's like my second home. I have the best time and I highly suggest it to everybody. Nice. Might not get there this year, but <laughs> that might, no, might break your streak. I know. And it's so funny because we have, we literally still have it booked for October and like we just won't pull the trigger on it and just cancel it. But like we're still holding out hope, but I know we're not going. So oh. I just have to cancel. That's a bummer. Last question. What's the yeah. best book you've ever read besides your own, of course? <laughs> um, it's two. One, I would say, is the Hunger Games trilogy. I think, is it a trilogy? There's three of them, right? I think um, so. They split it into four movies, but it's three yeah, books. Yeah, the movies just threw me off there. But the, the Hunger Games trilogy is probably the best series that I've ever read. And I... I don't even know why because I watch the movies and and I'm usually the type of person where I'm like the book's so much better than the movies and I watch the movies and I'm like oh god the book's so much better I read the book I'm like oh the movie's better and then I just go back and forth but I really feel like that book just the details in there and then ugh, I don't know I, I can't explain it enough it's just such a good book I love it so much the, the whole series there and then my second one that I would say is Secrets of Six Figure Women by Barbara Stanny. Hmm. Uh, very odd book that I would say is going to be one of my favorites. But this is the coolest thing because it talks all about negotiation and really building yourself up and how women are significantly underpaid than their male counters because they don't speak up enough and just demand more money. <laughs> yeah, right? No, that's a true that's true. I've heard that stat. Yeah, it's it's so like it you would think it's a very basic and easy thing. It's like, well, you just you want more money, you just ask for it. But it goes into a lot of detail about why women don't speak up and why we don't think that we're worth the amount that we think we're worth and we don't actually go into the table and, you know, or go sit at the table and and demand that salary. Um so that was something that I read a couple of years ago, and I love the takeaways from there. I, it's one of those books where I'm actually keeping a piece of paper next to me as I read it because I'm jotting down notes. Oh, wow. And I always thought if you're reading a book and you're trying to write something down or highlight or take notes, it has to be a great, impactful book on you. I'm going to have to download that. I'm always looking to make more money. <laughs> shout out to my boss <laughs> that's so funny 
Vanessa, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really had a blast talking with you. You know, your volleyball career is obviously great. Your writing career. I'm so excited to follow your writing career. And uh, I got a Kindle, so I'm keeping you on uh, on tab every time you write another book. I'll pre-order it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. And I, I really appreciate what you're doing, just so you know. Um, I think it's so, so cool to highlight athletes. Um, I, I think... It's awesome for celebrities to get the fame and be on the platform that they are. But I think for athletes that don't have that opportunity, they're they're just as inspirational. So they should have that platform. And so, um, you know, what you're doing is just so awesome. So thank you for putting this together. I've listened already to so many podcasts that you've put together with athletes. Oh, wow. and- just I really am so impressed with everything that you've been doing so thank you and I thank you for the kind words of course of course perfect and everyone download or buy was it something I said a guide to coaching female athletes and broken to blessed by Vanessa Sullivan all right everyone that was my chat with Vanessa Sullivan hope you enjoyed it really cool to hear all about her great volleyball career and how she's used her psychology degree to write two books can't wait to see what else she's gonna do I'll be back soon to speak with another outstanding athlete.